0: Hello, and welcome back to my little music business podcast with me, Danny Champion. Uh, This is uh, episode 52, I believe now, and I've had a short break. Um, I didn't know whether or not I was going to come back, but I have decided to come back. And see how things go. So things are slightly different now. But we're going to do our best to put some of these out semi-regularly over the coming months. Hopefully they will be interesting and you will be looking forward to hearing new ones. Um, This first episode back is a really special one. It's with a guitarist, songwriter and now educator Charlotte Hatherley. Charlotte was in the band Ash. Uh, Between 1997 and 2006, uh, since 2004, she's released about five solo records. She has created countless production music, library music releases, albums, and she also uh, does a fair amount of work composing music for film. Um, This was a conversation that was meant to have happened a year ago. Um, I was all scheduled to go and meet with Charlotte in London, um, but the the pandemic that we have enjoyed for the past year or so put stop to that, and so I was very, very happy that we were able to reschedule a year later. Um, the conversation was a bit different. Um, for one, both myself and Charlotte had kids in that time, so yes, slightly Different focus to the conversation, but it was a really, really great conversation. She's a really interesting person. Um, talks a lot about songwriting, a lot about you know her life in the music industry, uh, being a woman in the music industry, all that sort of stuff. So really, really great conversation. A massive, massive thank you to her for coming on, and I'm going to stop prattling on so you can listen to my conversation with the with the amazing. Charlotte Hathley. Yeah, appreciate you rescheduling after, I think it would have been quite a different conversation that we would have had uh, this time last year, I think was the last time we were chatting. um... So there wouldn't have been children. Uh, for a start no. <laughs> and we wouldn't have had a year indoors either so I'm yeah. sure there's a there's some different things to chat about how are okay. you finding parent
1: um well we're nine months in there yeah. now, and things have calmed down I mean you're in the eye of the storm it's two weeks in, that's crazy well I had I can't even remember
0: I had my six-year-old daughter here this weekend as well so I had Two right. I had opposite ends of the of the spectrum for the first time. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. kinda of going, why does anybody choose choose to do this more than once? <laughs> I don't know. This is really hard. I
1: thought, I thought that after the birth it was so brutal. It's funny because you quite a few of my friends have had babies yeah. recently. You know, you can't it's really hard because you don't want to say, Whoa, it's fucking painful. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew it was gonna be painful but Jesus Christ it was brutal and you know it's very hard you know, no one wants to hear that but no. now that they're on the other side you know the first thing that you say is oh my god but you forget the pain you forget I can't really I yeah. was on so many drugs I can't really remember I wasn't really <laughs> in the room um, but it was insane and then the first two months are just insane and now I feel like we have a routine. She sleeps so well. In fact, I'm sleeping better than I, I ever have.
0: Oh, nice. I'm a
1: good, solid eight hours sleep. So I know. Okay. I feel like it really hit the jackpot. And but yeah, in a similar way, I feel like, how do people do this more than once? Like after the birth, absolute palaver, I just thought, why would you do this again?
0: But, but it's people a drug do. And, and, people again and again and again and again and again. It's fascinating. I know.
1: But you, you, it wears off and you forget. And even now she's nine months. I'm like, you know, she grows out of her clothes. And I'm like, oh, maybe we should have another one. But I think-
0: <laughs> you're, you're there, are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really think we are sticking with the one yes. for now. I'm fairly certain it's just going to be a, a, a one baby scenario. But I guess, you know, you never know.
0: How are you finding fitting you know, being creative and working, you know, the music stuff around, around the personal stuff, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's it's, it's really highlighted a lot of issues with the music industry, but fortunately the main, the main one that a lot of other people have um, unfortunately come up against is the touring aspect of it. So I, yeah, I wasn't going to be touring anyway. I was sort of moving towards trying to sustain myself without having to travel, knowing that I was going to have a baby yeah. and that I wanted to have a baby. Um, and also, you know, I was—I just turned forty-one ten days before I had Rosa. And um, you know, I for the first time in a twenty-year career, I, I started to think about where do I want to be in ten years' time, and and I think okay. touring. It's something I've done like intensity since I was eighteen, and um, I felt like it was time for a change. And um, I guess my timing was quite impeccable. <laughs> That's I was going to so say, good.
0: if there was if there was any a good time to go, I don't think I need to do live music anymore.
1: It was kind
0: of March last year.
1: Yeah, it was so lucky, and um, so I I've sort of moved into a, well. A, I've been doing this for a while, but I guess more seriously, I'm doing um, soundtracks. So I've done a couple of short films. Yeah. So this is my I'm in my little studio upstairs in in the house, and um, I, I write music library albums, and uh, also I've been able to do some home studio work. So, you know, the the session musician touring world and the session musician studio work for me have been quite separate. Mm-hmm but now I seem to be getting more studio work. So last year, before the pandemic, I had started working on Imelda May's new record, which has just come out now. Cool. Um, I was doing some studio work, going to a studio with the producer and her, and um, some of that continued throughout the pandemic. And I managed to do it from here. In fact, we did a Joe Wiley live session, obviously not live, but all the separate musicians recorded themselves at home, and then it was put together and, so some of that's continued, which has been amazing. And and again, it, you know, it sort of opens up the possibility of like, okay, well, maybe, you know, we don't have to travel. Or my partner's a journalist, you know, you, he a film journalist specifically, and he would be flying off to LA or wherever just mm-hmm. to interview someone. I think now people are realizing, well, maybe that's a waste of money. Maybe that's not so environmentally friendly. Yeah. And for me, just not having to travel across London when when I've had a baby has been amazing so I can just disappear upstairs when she's sleeping. I got her into a routine quite quickly. So, you know, you just sneak upstairs and grab half an hour when she mm. naps or at the moment she sleeps for two hours in the afternoon. So that's my main uh, work um, time. And it's actually amazing how much you can get done with those restraints. So if it's like a few hours to do this, yeah. You, don't dick about on Facebook or trying lots of different plugins you just sort of get down to it straight away mm-hmm. and then she's asleep by seven so I can if I need to if I want to I can come up and work at night so I'm finding it that, that part of it okay I mean I guess the only thing is gone are the days where I can just work on something all day long and time disappears and, and you don't eat you know that sort of yeah, yeah. I was going to say
0: as a as a songwriter kind of the 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 mechanics of songwriting and you've mentioned uh library production music as well which i wanted to touch on a little bit today are you finding that you know your i guess the skill set you're you're using it differently now as you said it's not just you don't just immerse yourself and kind of pour out what's in i don't know you know in your head in your heart or whatever like that but it's more kind of right i've got i've got a job to do i've got tasks songwriting tasks to complete and do you find yes. that it's a different different way of looking at at songwriting
1: well in terms of, i mean i'm not writing songs i'm doing some co-writes and i would actually with a couple of co-writes i've done recently i think i've had to let go of my perfection which i think a lot of musicians um have a really strong perfectionist streak uh so I have fired off versions of songs that I would probably wouldn't have done before. I would have worked on them a bit more. However, the feedback has been just as good. So I, I've realized I've actually, you know, sometimes I I overdo something to death and I've realized that sending something a little bit, a little bit rough and ready Mm -hmm. is actually okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, we produced a mix it's just a demo idea sharing stage so that's been a good a good lesson to learn is that I can I can fire something off in a short amount of time and it's still good so that that's good to know yes rather than working for something endlessly for hours um but then in terms of like the music library stuff stuff just takes longer it just takes I mean they used to be like right I'm going to Get this done in a month, you know. You get a ten-track library together. I've been working on a collaboration with someone who I connected with in the first lockdown last last March. So it's taken a year and it's still not finished. And I just have to let it go. There's a okay. part of me that there's a big part of me that stresses about that. It's like I, okay. really, I I like to tick projects off and get them done. I hate unfinished things lingering, but I've just had to accept that. I was like it's just going to take a bit, it'll be done, it's just going to take a lot longer Um, and actually there's other other aspects of it I quite like, so say I'll I'll grab half an hour, I'll start an idea and then I'll have to go and get Rosa or feed her or whatever, I can think about that idea, so I find myself when I'm with her I'm thinking about something that I've, I've just started and then you come back to it with more of a fully formed idea of what it is or maybe you've had an idea for someone to collaborate on it there's more there's more space to think about it and less space to do it you know <laughs> what i mean
0: yeah. <laughs> which i guess yeah it kind of
1: you got you got lots of ideas so you come with uh, it you, it's not like you're in front of something and you're chucking out ideas and then you sort of scrabble to get it into some sort of order i suppose you're approaching it with a, a much more organized way of like almost like you, it's almost like you're doing a, a financial budget but it's a time budget so like with a you know if i'm applying for funding and the first thing you think about is what's my budget and that dictates what kind of project you're going to do it dictates everything everything in fact but so now i sit down with time and i'm like okay this is the time what can i do and it, it it dictates what kind of music you make so whatever you do it fits do you know mm-hmm. what i mean
0: yeah happen? yeah historically how have you been with kind of industry involvement in in writing so whether that's a record label whether that's a publisher whether that's a music library do you like to be given just free reign to just get on with it in your own space or are you are you good at kind of having an A&R person sit down listen to it collaborate I guess in, in that way
1: yeah um maybe not so much to start with because I was young and I'm you know I suppose when I was with Ash and I did my first solo record, I was encouraged to, to do that by people who were a lot older than me, actually, Eric Drew Feldman, who was in Captain Beefheart and played with the Pixies and you know, PJ Harvey and then Rob Ellis. So he was my producer, Rob Ellis, who plays, who's an amazing producer now, but he was drumming with PJ Harvey, came and made that record with me and, and, um, I was how old was I? 25, 24. So I, you know, I, I deferred to them because they were so experienced. Uh-huh. Um, however, I was young and quite strong-headed and had a, quite a weird little vision of of making weird post-punk pop music, and I had an absolutely no um, plans to be a solo artist. Really, mainstream certainly not. So didn't really get involved with uh, labels at that stage I just wanted to make sort of weird music that the people I was working with thought were cool because yeah, I yeah. thought they were cool um, and then I suppose my last record was a, was very much a collaborative record, it was co-written um, mostly with Michael Lovett from Nazca Lines Michael's an incredible writer and has his own solo project and um, I found that to be really liberating but once again, you know, I did have some some involvement from my publisher, some opinions. But I think for me, it's almost like, look, if, if it's okay with me and it's okay with the people in the room, like the other musicians or the producers, then I don't see why anyone else's opinion matters. Yep. Um, it's certainly, uh, my my experience with A&R and labels, labels has been quite limited because I've never been signed, but um, has very much been having an opinion for the sake of having an opinion for the sake of wanting to be involved for the sake of being able to say well that was my idea and I've always found it quite frustrating and also in my experience of as a session player playing with other people Mm -hmm. other mainstream artists I see labels making decision wrong decisions all the time wrong single choices um and so for me, I'm like I, I don't think they're the best people to judge. And so I I, I go with the musicians and the people I collaborate okay. with. They I trust them the most.
0: So what's what's your kind of general relationship like with the music industry? You've mentioned in passing little bits, but I'm just I'm I'm interested to find out. Yeah, what do you think of the business? What's your relationship with it? From being in Ash to doing your own stuff to working in the places that you work in now. You've kind of you've had. A lot of time to 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 develop relationships, but also to, yeah. to, to develop opinions.
1: Uh, yeah, my my opinion has changed wildly from when I first started because the industry has changed. Yeah. Um, when I first started with Ash, I was um, I was the only girl in a touring party of about fifteen people tra- traveling extensively through Europe. And America, Australia, Japan, whatever. And I always found I always had very good relationships with the, with the people who worked with the various labels internationally because I would seek out the women um, at those labels because I <laughs> I desperately needed to um, to connect with other human beings other than the ones I was stuck in this little claustrophobic tour bus bubble with. Yeah. And um. I think the thing that stands out for that at that time which is like I don't know late 90s slash um, early 2000s is is the networks and how every time you go back to Germany you would have the same label people working with you and it was a intense little friendship we'd, we'd party but not only that we would have long intense promo press days and they were with you for the whole time and um at some point that changed and you would go back to these countries and there would be every time you go back there would be a different person. So I think the personal okay. touch in the music industry started to started to dwindle. Um, those networks started to close down but because the industry shrank, The obviously the money, um, you know, I mean I remember at the time of Britpop Pop when I was in my first band and then with Ash, you know, right. the industry was absolutely booming, it was hedonistic, people were getting signed for outrageous amounts of money on the back of nothing really. Yeah. Um, so those days were very much done by the time I left Ash. Um, and I and I, I noticed it on just on that personal level of, um, of friendships and relationships with labels sort of falling apart. Anyway, when I left, I, f- I formed my own um, label with my manager at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my 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 thinking was the first record I released sold 15,000 whilst I was still with Ash, therefore when I left Ash, oh yeah, we'll sell twice as much, and so we printed up unbelievable amounts of vinyl, B-side, singles, videos, limited edition this, limited edition that, and um most of which i them in my cupboard behind me <laughs> because we didn't we just didn't sell any so i sold like five thousand records and ended up with this huge surplus and lost so much money i put so much money into that record and and also into the studio we were in the residential studio It was craziness right and um for me that was just a real uh indicator of a sign of the times it was just like the The industry has massively changed. Streaming has changed everything. No one's buying records, and Mm -hmm. everyone has to change their their response to to how they make music. Um, Do you
0: like the changes that you're seeing in the industry?
1: There was a lot of scrambling about figuring out how we're going to do this. I mean, my last record i I released through Pledge, Pledge, sadly, sadly exploded afterwards. Yes, um, or imploded. Uh, but I actually made money back for the first time ever by by releasing it through Pledge. It, it works really well for me. So that that self-release model, other people do Kickstarters, mm-hmm. which, you know, some artists do Patreon. Well, I'm not sure if that's quite as effective. Um, so you know, and then suddenly you have people. Oh, who's the woman who was married to Neil Gaiman? He was uh, uh, Amanda Palmer. Palmer yes. Yes, so there was a whole Amanda Palmer playbook from, you know, this is the new way to do it, you have to do it yourself, and you ask people to do stuff for free. So then this whole culture of doing stuff for free sprang up, um, and I don't think that was helpful for musicians at all. I think think that played into the whole... (sighs) The whole story that, that streaming and Spotify is really plugged into of like music and art has lost its value you know even the, the head of Spotify saying saying directly to musicians you have to change your way you can't just rely on releasing an album every now and then you have to content 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 and you yeah. have to churn out this stuff and I think you know just a general devaluing of music has happened whilst at the same time you know if you're lucky and and you're a one in a million Ed Sheeran and you can you can do absolutely unbelievably well but I think that it obviously doesn't trickle down to smaller artists and I think artists are really suffering right now and I think the music industry needs a total revolution I mean it's it's a very brutal place to be I think if you're at a certain level especially now that Covid has absolutely demoralized a whole mm. Generation of musicians, and I see it because I teach. I teach in a London college, and I see it as like demoralised musicians yep. who cannot see a future. And I think it's, I think it's sad. And I, you know, I think technology is there to empower us. And I see changes are. You know, I, I've been following the parliamentary inquiry into yes. fairer streaming. I see that SoundCloud have launched the first user centric model um, for royalty payments. Um, I see people much more willing to go to Bandcamp to fund artists directly because people now understand that there's something wrong. So I think there is hope and things are changing um, and I think the music industry really, really needs it and don't even get me started on being a mother in the music industry.
0: you set your own record label up you've used the kind of the pledge system kind of for me anyway one of the ways that I try and motivate the students that I'm working with is kind of saying that yes the industry is a tricky one but it's kind of becoming more and more built for people to do it for themselves you know what it's not a you know my my one tiny uh opportunity in a band in like 99 to 2001 we sold demos we had you know we put on our own shows we had 300 400 people to come to those shows but that was the ceiling because we needed a record label that was the next thing up and that wasn't happening anytime soon um and if it had happened we probably would have got i don't know an ep or a mini album out of it and then they would have moved on to the next thing because of the time um but now I see lots and lots of people and they are able to release. They're able to put their stuff out there and things like that. But but the the as you pointed out, the I guess the juxtaposition of being able to do that is well so can everybody else, which devalues everything when there's just so much stuff out there. I mean, do you see the kind of the positive versus the negative?
1: Yeah, I definitely see the positive, but don't kid yourself that you can do everything yourself and, and fund it all yeah. yourself without having to get a, another job. I mean, I think it's so much work. And actually one of the things I, I have talked about with other female musicians I've talked about is 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 um, building up your networks and community is so important because I, I really think the, the key and the way forward right now for younger musicians or any musician is, is collaboration and, and not feeling like, you know, you have to do everything yourself. Um, it's, it's difficult when you're a solo artist because, yeah, I mean, if if you're doing a pledge campaign or or something like that, you know, you, you're relying on fans funding it, um, however, you do have to have a certain audience already in place. You do have to get to a certain level yeah. already. Um, and, you know, to to make those limited edition vinyl, it's expensive um, to make your little videos. It doesn't have to be expensive, but you know, you do have to fund yourself. And I think for me, the only way that I've made that work is um, by doing session work mm-hmm. and playing with other people. And then that sort of enables me to put that money back into my own projects. And so i can pay musicians i can pay someone to mix i can pay someone to master i can pay artwork i can pay someone to do video i can pay some an ar person to, to take it to radio yeah. um you know all these little things they don't come for free basically
0: no so, no and you're kind of you're you're a an, uh, an amazing example of the kind of things that i I'm, I'm constantly telling songwriters and and artists to think of is that Yes, you want to put your own records out, but that's not the only thing that can generate you income. As yeah. a performer, as a creator, as a creative. Yeah. And it's yeah. about going right. Well, you know, you can write your own stuff, but you can write stuff for other people. Other your friends can be performing your yeah. your stuff as as and when performances can happen. There's opportunities to play your instrument with other people. There's music for media and for, there's all of these different strands. Uh, That that are much more available so that you can, you know, put your creativity into different areas. Uh, I've got a a number of friends who have production music businesses. My background is in sync. So I really push this idea of writing music for other reasons. It's not just putting singles out, putting EPs out and things like that. It's a you have a skill that not everybody has. You know, I've written yeah. songs in the past, but I can't write songs in the way that a lot of people that I've met over my years of of teaching and uh, mentoring and all that sort of stuff has. And if they can do that, then they shouldn't just uh, mm. pigeonhole themselves and say, right, I'm going to put my own music out in this way. But as soon as you start saying, well, could you write to brief? Could you write for other people? Could you write yeah. for other reasons? I see them kind of getting twitchy because... It, it doesn't kind of does it doesn't match up in their head this idea of well this these this these songs are mine they can't be anybody else's or yeah. the, the 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 act of writing songs is not for other people it's for me to get my myself out yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, someone who's kind of done a bit of both I'm interested to yeah. to find out your thoughts on this. You know how how do you get through to to people that you may may have have come across that think the same?
1: Well, I mean, I never would have thought that I'd have done the amount of stuff I've done when I was younger. I just thought I was going to be a solo artist um, or a musician. I didn't really think about all the umbrella things that come from it. Um, I was a huge David Bowie fan and a, and a huge Kate Bush fan and you know when I when I was 14 and I thought about a musician looking at someone like David Bowie I did I did think oh actually I, I quite like film I like writing as well um, I had started to think about doing film soundtracks because I loved um, science fiction films so much and I loved Uh, music and the way that Kate Bush integrated music and theatre and art so I think I when I thought about my career it was it was within the arts you know like music was one part of it yeah um and so I think as as I've grown over the last 20 years yeah it's it's amazing really what I've done and and I, a lot of it is from necessity like I started DJing because I was skint so that that was why I did that um I started I moved into session touring and being a session musician because it was in a phase of my life when I was a bit burnt out from releasing my own music and and not really feeling like I was getting anywhere and then I got asked to do an audition for Brian Ferry and go to Kazakhstan and that was and so that opened the door to to session work Mm -hmm. and then recently all the session work collaborations I've done have turned into co-writing so I would go on tour so like I worked with an artist called Makane and I was his musical director and now I've been co-writing with him for his new album and that's led to other co-writing and really it's it's I, I couldn't have ever have planned it, you know. And then and then I've, I've ended up doing short films. I have a composer agent now. I've been pitching for like Netflix TV stuff. Um, and I write music libraries as a collaboration with composers. Um, and to be honest, every single thing that I've done, I've had to learn a completely new skill. So like being a musical director only happened when I was 38 and I had to learn how to use Ableton live. I had to... Um, learn so much as a you know, pitching for TV and doing short films. So I think for me, it's like this constant evolving and a constant feeling of, you know, this, this never ends. It's not like you're going to ever retire from music. I feel like i will be 60, 70, 80 learning stuff all the time, Mm -hmm. um, using new technology. Um, Yeah, I completely understand that when you're young it's your vision and you don't want to compromise and i i think i think the only way the only thing to do is to put yourself out there and only experience will teach you that you need to diversify your skill set um you know if you launch yourself as a solo artist um then you have to put your own bands together you're immediately naturally starting a collaborative process that might lead to co-writing But I I do think you know when I talk to guitar students, a lot of them want to be session players, but they they're very practical about it, and they also want they like I know I have to probably have to be a guitar teacher. Um, So there's like a very distinct path. But I think for a solo artist, for a singer, it's you know it's not that easy. It's not like I'm a songwriter, I can teach songwriting. It doesn't really work like that. It's it's quite a specific um, direction
0: very quickly what does a musical director entail mm. you meant you mentioned um,
1: that yeah well when you're a session player you know you, you turn up for rehearsals and you get sent the parts that and you learn them um and you essentially get told what you're going to do, but within you know, if you're lucky you'll get a gig where someone says, Do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're M D, you're the person who puts the band together. Okay. You're liaising with the You're 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 basically dealing with the album. So with Nikane I got sent the album stems and then you get given the budget. So this is what I say of like the budget dictates yes. what kind of band you can have. So then it's like, okay, we can only afford to take three people on stage. Um, how do you feel about backing track? So, right, I want, you know, and then you think about what the artist wants versus what you can actually feasibly reproduce on stage. Um, a lot of aesthetic decisions like, you know, is it okay to have bass on backing track? Is it okay to have vocals on backing track? How do you feel about that? Um, and then you're also liaising with management and labels a lot more as well. So it's just like much more responsibility. I was,
0: yeah, I was going to say it kind of it, it to 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 the uninitiated, I guess it's something that you might assume a manager slash tour manager might be involved with but not quite because it's it's that little bit more skilled i guess it really does depend as you pointed out depends on budget and who you can get involved and obviously the more yeah. the more budget you have or you decide where best to place the budget if you did, kind of need, we need someone to yeah. think about this and only this that's when you bring that's yeah. when you bring a musical director on board yeah
1: and and there's blur- you know there is blurred lines between between tour management with that because you're well with, with me. I was dealing with hiring gear. I was dealing with s- stage plans, sending text specs to to, to venues, mm-hmm. liaising with in in house sound engineers about requirements. You know what what would McCartney need if he wasn't there for sound check? So yeah, I mean it, it's kind of I had to really like understand. <laughs> um, a lot more than I ever did as a session musician. As a session player, you're just just turning up and you're playing and someone just worries about all that stuff. Um, But I I absolutely loved the responsibility of it.
0: You were doing a lot of research into women in music Mm. and things like that. So can you kind of outline a bit what that is what you were doing yeah. a year ago where that has led you to now um and where yeah. you are kind of hoping to go with it all
1: yeah well i read a report it's called "Counting the industry it's by vic bain um a comprehensive look into equality in the music industry and some quite shocking statistics in there about oh. the c- comparisons between the amount of women who get signed publishing deals and the amount of men who get signed publishing deals. Um, and then looking at disparity on in different labels, so you know, electronic artists, obviously female predictably very low compared to men. Yeah. Um, I don't have any figures in front of me, but I think pretty much across the board, um it showed like massive disparity. And again, and, and also looking into like every year there's there's a festival lineup controversy. Yeah. Um, I think this year is, is particularly bad. Um, and looking at reasons why that might be and, and, and some of the reasons are women just don't get signed. Women mm. just don't get as much investment as men Um, other male musicians don't necessarily want to work with other female musicians like one thing that has to happen is male musicians or solo artists have to start hiring women Um, most of my session work has been from other female solo artists Nakane is the exception Yeah. Um, yeah so it was just quite an enlightening and quite a shocking report really on on the state of affairs do you think it's really it
0: stems from the inherent i get you know, masculinity of the industry side of things one of my bosses was was a guy so i used to work for peer music um right. and so the nigel Elderton who runs peer was the only male head of that i've ever worked for Uh, You know, the head of the sync department at Sony ATV when I was there. It's a lady called Karina Masters, amazing person. Um, Ruth Simmons, who started Sound Lounge, who, when I've become a music supervisor, you know, she's been kind of a leading light in that. So I kind of, really, my experience is of amazing, strong, powerful women. And then you realise that actually that's not the majority. It's just my majority. And it kind of doesn't, it just weirdly doesn't work. In my head, it's like, why, why is this still still a thing? Yeah. Well, how long yeah, is it still going to be way. a thing?
1: I feel the same way because I've played with mostly female musicians since when I turned 30, I joined Back for and, you and know, Sarah Jones and Natasha Khan, And then I played with Katie Tunstall. Um, and then I played with Birdie. Um, with other female musicians, and recently I've played with Imelda May mm-hmm. and Nastassia Bruglia um, and and it feels like you know a lot of really interesting um, mainstream artists are female. Like Billie Eilish is quite a fascinating character, really. Christine and the Queens, Lizzo, like a, there seems to be like a, a new generation of of female artists who are going against the grain, who are just like fiercely. Independent spirits um, who don't seemingly don't feel the pressure to be a sort of you know stereotypical female frontwoman. Mm. However, um, you know, reading the report did make me think, oh well, that's my bubble. That is my the bubble I've been in. It's not. That's not how it is. Mm. And it's certainly not how it is. You know, in terms of like uh, diversity as well. I mean most of the women, so I, I, I was interviewing uh, women for, I decided I was going to talk to a lot of female musicians that I know and I have yeah. played with, specifically in session world, to sort of get some sort of guide of like, how you become a session musician, which is a question that get asked a lot by students, um, and look at their, you know, unique path, and and also, and focusing on elements of this report, a lot of which is technophobia being a big problem, um and also like imposter syndrome uh and every woman i spoke to and they're all incredibly successful in their field feels this feels this imposter syndrome um so it does seem to be like a you know even if you're massively successful um you can still have these 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 barriers that Mm. hold you back
0: is that from those interviews was that something that you felt you know that was it was an internal feeling that they'd created and then was manifesting or was it something that was kind of they were feeling because of the way that the industry or the people were were viewing them
1: i think a lot of that stuff is society pressures that happen when you're really young even down to like um genderizing instruments of like the girls at school play the flute. The boys play the drums. You know, that that stuff is there from, from a very early age. I've got um, two daughters.
0: And- They're definitely both going to play the drums and the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I can get my, my eldest, <laughs> if I can get her sat down for a minute, we've, we, we're, we've started with the ukulele. She's getting the hang of it. Um, exactly. But she's still a little bit of a whirlwind. And she kind of, if it doesn't immediately... Oh take hold, then she runs away.
1: Uh, my, my little girl just got a little uh, Cobra Kai um, T-shirt. I was like, yes, send it to karate straight away. I think, you know, there's maybe for my generation, there weren't quite so many visible women, female musicians. Although actually, when I think about it, especially as it, for bass, I was like, God, the 90s, you know, Melissa after Murr, Kim Deal, Kim Gordon, just so many amazing female musicians out there however you know as a guitar player not so much as a drummer certainly not so much but the amount of female incredible female drummers that i've played with um sarah jones being like a good example sarah i played with sarah in backflashes and over the last 10 years she's become an enormous session musician now she plays with Harry Styles mm-hmm. and I think just to have all of those Harry Styles you know thousands and thousands of young girls watching that band and seeing her that's gonna make a difference and I think it, it you need a Harry Styles to employ you that's you know that's what you need you need these big, um, yeah, yeah. big artists to, to, to have that sort of vision and, and to look past the, the gender thing. I mean, there's also the, there's also a thing of like, I wish I say to them, I, I also have um, lessons where there are hardly any girls, especially with the guitar performance side of things. But I'm like, look, if you're a girl and you're really good, you're gonna have the edge over every single boy in this class. You, you, it's way more interesting. People actually want to, if you're good and you look good, you know, that's that's the second well, It's thing. that
0: it's standing out, isn't oh, it? If you're the one, you're if you're the one out. girl in yeah. a sea of beardy, tattooed blokes, then you're going to stand out because you don't look like everybody else. I say that as a beardy, tattooed bloke so, yeah, <laughs> and having a girl yeah, at myself there.
1: Yeah, I think the blokes kind of just have to try a little bit harder. Um, so you, I think you you will have the edge over the competition and probably get more work. And that's, you know, sadly the way it is. Until you know, there are, there are more female musicians out there. The last tour I went on, the drummer was twenty six, and honestly, I've never been on tour with anyone as, <laughs> as lovely and kind and empathetic and mature as him, and. You know, I, I do think that is very much the case with with the younger generation of musicians, with musicians about to launch themselves into that world. Um, I think when I was a teenager, eighteen through to twenty six with Ash, it was a very different environment. And actually, I look back on it now and I think, oh my God, how how on earth did I survive that? Well, I survived it by becoming one of the boys, really. Mm. Um, and sort of putting on a lot of armour to get through it. And it's not until I joined Backflashes when I was 30 that I, I realised that I didn't have to tough it out all the time. It was okay to sort of sit on the tour bus and say, you know what, I'm tired and I feel shit today and have a cry without being, but without worrying about, oh, I don't want to be an emotional woman on, on the tour bus. But, know? but I mean, but no, I think a, that's definitely
0: I was going to say, as a guy it's quite worrying that if you're on a tour bus as a guy you can't feel like that openly you know it's kind of it's weirdly you know i i've i haven't been on tour in the same way or well, at all on the same way on the same level as you i have played live fairly regularly um but not to a point where you're just knackered and yeah yeah just everything just it's just scream but i know what that feels like and you don't want to yeah. kind of even you know man up i hate that phrase and so yeah. it's kind of why why should it be on both sides why can't men <laughs> kind of go this is rubbish isn't it can we just all kind of <laughs> do something to make us feel a bit better it's you know it's a bit it's a bit weird or not weird but you know it kind of feels a bit bad to hear that that's, that only happens when when you get to go out on tour with, with female artists as well.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether, I mean, it's also very hard to relate to other people when you've been on tour, because, you know, when you come back home and you've been to Brazil and America and Japan, you know, it all sounds completely amazing and wonderful. I think there is a bit of a, a, an expectation that, or you don't want to be like, actually, it was really difficult and tough, and I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, the good bits were really good, but most of it was shit. <laughs> you know, it's, because it's,
0: you're kind of in a weirdly weird. privileged position, as that's your job. Yeah, you can't, you can't, yeah, yeah. you can't complain about the fact that you get to play in front of thousands of people. Yeah. You can. Absolutely, it's people a job.
1: It's very hard for people who don't talk to, to relate to that and to understand it.
0: It's still a job at the end of the day. It's like anything. Just because it's it looks slightly more interesting slash fun or whatever, it's still just some days you just wake it's up and you go, I job. don't, I don't want to do this gig. Can I not? Can I call in sick? Please, nope. Yep. We've sold tickets. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, it's the problem is it's it's, it's, it's extreme. It's, it's an extreme lifestyle, and it really is not for fun. Um, so there are already barriers in the touring world, yeah. which is mostly to do with mental health and self-care, and throw women into that environment, and it's it's just not always, you know, I ha- when I got on my first tour bus with Ash, I had to ask them to give me a bin in the toilet uh, because it, you know they just piss in the toilet and walk off, and. You know, it's so embarrassing to say. Oh, do you think you could get me a bin? Because my anatomy is different. You know, <laughs> you know, just, just to just these very simple but little things that make you realise this environment is not for me. Yeah. It's not. It's not built for me. And I think it's changed, and it has changed in the last ten years, definitely. But how, <laughs> however, now that I'm a mother, uh, I really feel like it's not built for me. I mean, the whole touring industry is is absolutely designed for a single person. Mm. It's really not meant for um, for motherhood. And I just watched Paloma Faith's documentary, which all oh, the people I know are talking about. And it does make me think, God, if it's difficult for Paloma Faith, who's in gorgeous hotels and apartments on tour with um, major label supports, God help us all. You know, how, how the how would I make that work? You know, how am I going to be a session musician? Am I going to say, I'm not going to get the gigs because I come along with this extra financial um, barrier, and also as a solo artist, I don't want to really do that. I don't want to travel and be. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by women who do go on tour when when they have kids, um, and I'm sure I'll, I'll figure it out. But at the moment, yeah, it does feel like, wow, this is the music industry really needs a a, a revolution in the way that it's it approaches female musicians it really
0: does it's a tricky the, the the having kids part of working life is is a tricky minefield to get through because my my wife works in television and the nature of television is short-term contracts so you're yeah. not necessarily getting maternity leave or cover in the same way you kind of work up to the end of your contract and then in much the same way as potentially like a session player is this if you just go right well I guess I'm just not taking any session gigs until my kids of a certain age again where I can get childcare and stuff like that but then it's harder to get that because you've missed like eight nine maybe even 12 months of those of those shows um same for same for the tv tv world so yeah there's i mean there, yeah there's there's some big holes in in that i'm coming at it mm-hmm. from a you know from a freelance perspective that i just don't if i don't work i don't get paid so i've just got to kind of yeah. f- factor that yeah. stuff in but yeah there's there's big holes in just managing
1: Huge hole. I mean, procreation. And, and, and i'm not saying it's also not a problem for for men because my partners are Freelancer mm. and maternity care and leave situation is equally yeah. abysmal. So yeah, I think you know, there's there's so many things that need to to be worked on in that department. But I just think for for women, it's just an extra.
0: Oh gotcha yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's an extra thing to worry about in 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 something that's already problematic you know mm-hmm. so but you know I, it's difficult because i I don't, I don't want to be constantly negative i think there there are really great things happening in the music industry i just think it's going to take a little bit more time but i think i think i think the will is there yeah, yeah. to, to fix it. and i do think you're right i think this, the the people at the very top like the old guard of the music industry have to have to leave now they have to make yeah. way yes. make way <laughs> yes next uh, generation and um you know it was interesting on that parliamentary inquiry to see the, the heads of those three major labels and you know they fit one very specific demographic they do and i think we need to it needs to change in so many ways
0: I do have one other last area of questioning. I was hoping sure. to get another kind of 10 minutes out of you. And that is your soundtrack work. Yes. Uh, that, you know, we're, we're talking uh, today because uh, Gary Downing from Leland Originals uh, put me in touch with you, who is your uh, composer agent. Yeah. I guess uh, you've done some theater stuff. You've done some short films you're uh, working on other bits and pieces i'm sure uh what's how does it differ from you know writing an album or collaborating on a commercial release or even uh library music production music versus scoring an album what you know, scoring a film what's the 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 things that you get out of it differently and uh yeah what's coming up in that area
1: well i just love the freedom of, of writing of, of soundtracking and i think yeah just not having to worry about the form and structure of writing songs and singing and writing lyrics and you know it's such a specific thing you're trying to fit everything into a, a four minute three three minute thirty form yeah um, and I think with the soundtracking, it's just, it's, it's a completely different process really. Um, and for me, it's been adjusting to, yeah, the music's not the most important thing. You're reacting to the visuals and the emotions and you're trying to communicate something in your music, but you know, with a song, perhaps the vocals and the lyrics can communicate, but with soundtracking, it's much more of a, Intuitive response to, to what you're seeing. Yes, um, I find find it a lot more satisfying, and the ch- I love the challenge of it. Um, and when the visuals and music work together, I just think it's a it's just a powerful thing. I mean, some, with with live performances, I like to have visuals behind me, and I've always been drawn to to the interaction between um, visuals and music. Um, and I suppose, you know, I, I I built up a relationship with them, a director called Gavin Rothery. I so that was, we did a... Uh, that's, the hit, a that's the last man. That's the last man, and then he directed one of my videos, A Sign. And um, we've sort of bonded over a, a mutual love of, of science fiction. And from there, I, yeah, moved in to getting represented by Leland, and then I've, I did a Another short film called Imogen. Um,
0: so was that was something that, is that something that came via Leland?
1: That came via, via Leland, but also yeah. the producer had worked with Bat Flashes and okay. had seen that I had worked with Bat Flashes. And um, but anyway, that was a very powerful documentary. Yes. Um, and a, a, a teenage girl. Well, teenage girl a young girl who um eventually took her own life but had left behind some um, recordings of her own music which Mm -hmm. is sort of inspired by pj harvey you know very scratchy four track demos some of them on tape and and i got given that music and um i took elements of her songs and put it into the soundtrack so you know and you know very intense, and and the responsibility of that was, was huge. To because I, you know her family were involved. Um, something that I never would have uh, got into so deeply with my own solo work. You know, mm-hmm. with that with my own writing, you your world building, you're creating characters, you're creating worlds. Um, whereas with the soundtrack stuff, there's something incredibly personal about it. I probably, way more of my own emotions thrown into my soundtrack writing than my solo writing, just because I, you know, I tried to disguise my vulnerabilities when I write. My last album was a heartbreak record and it took a lot for me to be that honest mm-hmm. and lay myself bare. Whereas with, with the composing, there's something quite. Maybe it's the anonymous aspect of it. I find I find it much easier to tap into those emotions and to work on a film like Imaging was like so intense, um, but like much more rewarding than anything else I've done. So really, I just I would just love to do more of that. And then the the music library stuff happened. I I just collaborated with a, a composer friend of mine and got into it that way. We wrote an album together, and um,
0: is that the Traveler album?
1: Yeah, so that's the Traveller one, um, listen to that, like which it. is one of like many, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was listening to that earlier. It's one of the things that I love about, or one of the, the positive, well, not positives, there's lots of positives, but the thing I like about uh, Spotify is that production music gets uploaded to Spotify as well yeah, as okay. on yeah. that sort of stuff. So it's okay. kind of, it gives, it gives non-commercial music kind of a commercial outlet, I guess, yeah. especially now that the quality it's not Muzak anymore. It's not, our, it's not, you know, it's not cheap music. It's, it's, it's music with yeah. a different purpose, with a different perspective in it, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that, Sorry. No, I was going to say that was through KPM. Yes. Um, BMI. And yeah, I, I, I've done music library records that you probably nobody would ever know, but I think under that, Um, Company, I was able to release it as a solo album, which Mm. I never really thought you could do with Music Library. And Hannah Peel did a similar thing. She had um, released a KPM record, and I think her new solo release is music derived from that original release. So, yeah, the the Music Library world, it's it's interesting because in a way it enables you to flex your muscles. So, like, you know, I'll try out new sounds and new instruments um, and be like, right, I'm going to write a horror a collection of horror music how much like- how much
0: production music do you reckon you've done how many albums worth oh
1: i've probably done about 10 okay. not, not loads um i mean
0: it's it's it's, it's not as an insignificant amount considering all the rest the <laughs> other things that you, that you do as well so
1: yeah i mean i find them quite i find them quite interesting i'm mean, kind of use them as little little templates to, to, to try out ideas and and actually that I just pitched for a um, Netflix thing which, which didn't happen but so I, I've got lots of music that I had written for that and I've got choices you know do yeah. I turn it into a sort of do I turn it into a collaboration or do I turn it into a music library record and, and I think you know it's great that I've got those options but I've had to create those options for myself yeah. really to, to make to make it possible for me to sit up here in my studio and not to mm-hmm. not to do you know something else. There've been so many moments where I thought I can't make this work. I can't make being a musician work, and something's always come, something's always come up and uh, rescued me. You know, it's it's the seat a flying by the seat of your pants industry, but uh, because of that, I've had to learn um, other things you know other ways to survive and actually I've ended up on a path I never would have predicted but I'm really happy with where I'm at Um, I'm totally in love with the kind of music that I'm writing for the first time maybe ever actually I feel like at at the age of 41 I'm like this is the music this is my sound this is my thing Uh, I think the Traveller EP is probably a really good uh, representation of Mm -hmm. that when i when i wrote that with with tim allen my main collaborator and he lives in bristol um represent you know i like hit bristol i i just <laughs> thought you know this is, it. this is the sound that i've always wanted um yeah you know, i you know that's something also to remember if you're a young musician you know the, the quest to find to find your sound it never really ends it's constantly evolving and you know I would as as much as I would love to be a young musician, um, I also don't <laughs> I I love the fact that I'm, I'm where I am now. You know, I love the fact that it's taken me twenty years to get here because, you know, you feel like you have this whole wealth of experience that, that you can now, you know, dive into and you know, pull bits and pieces out, pull information out because, you know, a lot of the stuff I've sort of done before in, in some form or other
0: Amazing. I think that's a a wonderful way to end, actually. Thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. Much appreciated. Thank
1: you. No worries.
0: Massive thank you there to Charlotte once again for agreeing to be on the podcast and also being able to reschedule uh, to have this conversation a year after it should have happened. Um, Means a lot. This is very much a labour of love. So all of my guests, I'm very, very appreciative for them to come on uh, show and talk to me about their careers in music. And I hope you who listen to it enjoy the content that I put out. Um, do check out Charlotte's solo work it's all on Spotify Uh, check out her work with Ash Uh, go through, um, find her online Um, links that you'll need or all links are in the episode description so please do check out her stuff and please do check out the rest of the content I'm putting out Uh, as I said at the beginning there's over 50 episodes of this I will be releasing new episodes this year every two weeks. So go back through, have a listen to some of the older stuff if you haven't already and you know, wait with bated breath for new stuff. Um, but until then, thank you very much for listening, for getting involved. If you would like to contact me, please do so via, again, the links to my own socials and my email in the uh, episode description. Uh, but until next time, thank you very much. See you later.